0: up into the helicopter. And he found a ledge fairly near the top. Put down on this ledge. The sea was completely unbroken sea ice as far as the horizon. It was also windless. No sound of water. There were no waves. No streams. No raindrops. but total silences. Eerie.
1: Welcome to Polar Podcasts, where you'll hear stories from geologists who've spent their careers, their lives. Exploring and studying the remarkable and remote geology of Greenland. Why did they become fascinated with Greenland? What were the problems and the discoveries that drove them? And what was it like working in these remote places, where few people venture, even now? I'm Julie Holtz. In this episode, we hear more from Brian Upton, Emeritus Professor at the University of Edinburgh, about his expeditions to Northeast and North Greenland with the Geological Survey of Greenland in environments in stark contrast to where he had been working in South Greenland.
0: Uh, Dyke swarms became very, very important to understanding what was going on. Well, again, what we know about them is this much, a huge amount still to be done. I spent a lot of time with MLS and the Henry MLS and the Hebadean fields, and uh, a lot of work at that stage was being done by GGU in uh, East Greenland and uh, Oscar.
1: That's Niels Henriksen, known to many as Oscar, from the GGU, the Geological Survey of Greenland.
0: I said, Brian, would you like to go and work on this region of the sticks out called Hold with Hope? Would you like to go and work there? We know got the of lavas there, and some. These are sediments under it. There might be one or two volcanic complexes there. If I had pinpoint the best field season I've ever had in my life, I think it was the... We got there in late June. The place was knee-deep in snow. It was just very difficult finding any place at all. to camp down. Spring and summer followed very, very quickly, and by September, you were back into winter again. You were having Great jobs trying to get out of the tent in the morning because all the ropes were totally iced up and um, you had to break ice to get your water to make your porridge. You know, we were evacuated in a blizzard. There was a lot of uh, fossil wood. One of the fun things about the East Coast is it's covered in timber wood. Uh, you got all the great rivers, the Lena, the Anisi and the Ob, taking timber out of Central Asia and spring break up, tipping it out into the Arctic Ocean. It all moves west. Hits Franz Josef land of Spitsbergen, meets Greenland and gets littered down white like plastic does in the present days all down the coast, so all the Inuits knew about wood. Mm. So they didn't know where it came from. We found this place, it was loads of this fossil wood. It was just beautifully, beautifully silicified. Every day one day, picks one of these pieces up and throws it across the river to me. I thought, he's, what's he saying, that bit of wood until it landed and he clung! <laughs> Hold with hope. Again, most wonderful, wonderful playground to spend three months on. Even just watching the flowers and the uh, the birds coming in and out. When we were there, the geese were just nesting in the snow, which puzzled me. But they had to move fast because then the grass is coming up and the goslings are coming out. And they need to be fed fast and they have to be ready by late August to pack their bags and think about going down to the Nile Delta or to Po Delta or whatever. We went... North of that, up to Wollaston Fallon, which is about 74 degrees north, and uh, worked a little bit up the cliffs. And The pilot, an Icelandic pilot, said to see, Do you want to go higher up? So he, yeah, it was bloody steep. Anyway, hop into the helicopter, and he found a ledge fairly near the top, put down on this ledge, and we got the stove out, completely windless, our uh, coffee up there, and the sea was completely unbroken sea ice, it was absolutely totally flat ice as far as the horizon. And I don't know what the temperature was, but it was a number of degrees below zero, which was important. It was also windless. So there was no sound of water, there were no waves, no streams, no raindrops, anything. I've been to several places where I have heard total silence, but this was just looking out on this extraordinary expanse of ice. Oh, and icebergs dotted about amongst them, but total silence is eerie. And then Oscar, Yos Henriksen said, Brown, would you like to? We've got a lot of these lavas up in the top right-hand corner of Greenland. The Zigzagdale lavas and uh, Flinksdale and so on. Would you like to work up? Would you like to come up there with us? And that was... Very entertaining. FICO and Jensen, is, uh, his partner, and they worked in the early nineteen nineties in extreme northeast <coughs> Greenland, on the zigzag their lavas, and their stuff was pretty good. To put him up, understated, anyway, they collected every flow. So when I went there, it was very largely I just the sense of, Oh, this is what they look like, and this, uh, but I had all of the material, all the samples had been collected by these two.
1: Sir Brian embarked on a follow-up expedition to study the zigzag dell basalts in North Greenland with the Geological Survey of Greenland.
0: Flew into Copenhagen, oh. flew across to a Danish Air Force base in Jutland, got on a C-130 military transport and flew to Keflavik overnighted there. The next day I flew on with a number of workmen going up to fix the NATO base at Stashelmord, which is in more than most of all of the NATO bases. We landed there and was then transferred to a a fixed-wing Icelander aircraft that flew me from the NATO base to the Greenland Geological Survey base, probably 150 kilometres or so, I don't know. When I got there, I was told that I was to be flown immediately with a helicopter to my field area, a region called Zigzag Dale, and I was assigned a field assistant, a young woman from Northern Ireland, Lorraine Craig, we flew out again long way by helicopter, to be deposited with a load of boxes and bags to set up tent, and said goodbye to the helicopter pilot. After an hour or two, when we'd got two tents set up and we'd got the um, aerial set up, I said, Lorraine, I really could do with a cup of tea. She said, well, get the primus stover and make some tea. Stupid man. <laughs> I said, Lorraine, where are the matches? She gives me the sort of a look that I only get from women and says, in the food box, of course, the kitchen box. Uh, no, Lorraine, there's no matches in the kitchen box. Right, there must be in the office box. No, they're not in the office box So we then turned out every box we had We found that we were Do you remember Gary Larson's cartoons? One of my favourite was a woman sitting in a car Holding the steering wheel And she's got a map open And it says, Nowhere And there's a signpost in front of her With a pointer on it And it says, The Middle (laughs) Anyway, we're in the middle of Nowhere and I didn't have any matches and couldn't get a cup of tea. Oh, shit. Yes, well, okay, I'll have to call base. Tell them, we haven't got any matches. At this stage, we found that uh, we had um, complete radio blackout from the base. Oh, dearly, dearly, dear. which way do we walk? <laughs> Before we do that, I think we'd better try the NATO base, Stachel Nord, for the Mayday call out, which we did. And they relayed the call to the... Bit circle, so base.
1: That is the Geological Survey of Greenland.
0: And about four hours later, there was the musical noise of an approaching helicopter. It was the same pilot, an Icelandic pilot landed, came running down the slope, giving me a big box, big package. So the environment look after these very well. He says, Never in the history of mankind have there been more expensive batches than these. <laughs>
1: I'm Julie Hollis, and you've been listening to Polar Podcasts. In the next episode, we hear more from Emeritus Senior Scientist Bjorn Thomason about a close encounter with a polar bear in East Greenland.